Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. And I was thinking about when we stood on that ground, we stood in that plot of land. Bishop took the apostle Matt and myself to that plot of land. And we got to stand there and pray over that plot of land, hoping that one day we might be able to sow into that. And now there's going to be a church that's going to be planted there on the ground where we stood. And where the apostle prayed and blessed that land and, and prayed and asked that the Lord would turn people as they head to a monument built as an idol, that he would turn them to come to a house built to a living God with ears to hear and a mouth to speak. And I'm, I'm so thankful that this house is sowing into the work in India. I was, I was reminded, and this is the last thing I'll move on, I was reminded when we went to the, to the campground at India where Bishop Anthony has built a, a complex where they come for their annual meetings. At the top of the campground, there's... I think when we went, there were two floors, right? Two or three? Two floors. And at the top, sticking out of the concrete is more rebar. And it looks really strange. And we asked Bishop, we said, why is there rebar sticking out of the concrete? And Bishop said, because we're always ready to keep building. We're always ready to keep building. That, they have the kingdom mindset that, it, that where they're at is never the finality. Where they're at is never the end goal. But there is always another level. There's always a next generation to reach. There's always more kids to bring in on the bus or, or more people to reach on the streets. And they have set themselves up strategically with a physical, natural reminder that the kingdom must continue to grow. That the kingdom must continue to grow. And we're contributing to that. We are contributing to that in a real way. And that's awesome. I want to take you this morning to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And I'm going to start a timer. And I promise I will look at it at least one more time. So there you go. There's my disclaimer. John chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then uh, we'll pray and we'll dig into this, okay? Are you there? All right. Some of you. Three of you. We'll go ahead and read John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. I'm going to read it again, verse 4. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Today I want to preach a message entitled, Work the Works. Work the Works. Father, we thank You for this opportunity. We thank You for this beautiful family. We thank You, Lord, for the faith of this family. That they've gathered together in faith, believing that the invisible God will show up in the midst. When they begin to lift their voices and sing out your praises, that Jesus, you, by your Holy Spirit, would walk into this place and inhabit our praises. And you have done that. 
And we thank you that you are in this place. And we invite you now to have your way with the remainder of this service. We do not turn our attention off of you to turn it to a message. But this is the continuation of our focus on you. And as we set our eyes on you through the lens of your scripture, we ask that you would reveal your heart to us. Your heart for us and your heart for others. And we ask that the good seed of the kingdom would be sown on fertile soil so that it would germinate and take root quickly, that it would not be snatched away, and that it would produce first fruits and lasting fruits for this people, for friends, neighbors, family, and for this community and region. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm dry this morning. All right, so, verses, so, so here's the stage. Chapter 8 begins with Jesus stooping down by a woman who was ready to be stoned and asking those who are standing around ready to stone her after riding who knows what on the, in the dirt. You who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Chapter 8 ends with Jesus sneaking out of the temple because they are now collecting stones and ready to stone him. Jesus, in the book of John, makes enemies of the religious elite really quickly. By like chapter 5, everybody's ready to kill Jesus. Because he's declared himself who he really is. Religion gets real upset when Jesus starts making known who he really is. Religion doesn't, religion's box cannot contain the vastness of who Jesus really is. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, no, 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 this is who I actually am, religion gets real uncomfortable because that doesn't fit in the parameters of Sunday and Wednesday for a couple of hours. So the religious leaders, is that too much? So the religious leaders, I'm feeling good this morning, man. The Holy Ghost is in here, so y'all buckle up. I don't know if he's out there, but he's up here, so that's what you get. So the religious leaders have gathered up their stones and they're ready to take out Jesus. And he slips his way out of the temple. The first thing I want you to know about this story is it doesn't take place inside the house of God. It does not take place inside the temple. Jesus intentionally sneaks his way out of the temple to find a man who was blind from birth. He makes his way outside of the temple before he's ready to heal. Now Jesus is not opposed to healing inside of the temple. He does that too. We've seen countless souls be touched at these altars. But Jesus in this day, in this hour, in this age, and in this people is looking for somebody who's okay with slipping outside the doors and continuing the work of Calvary. Continuing the work of what he started at the altar. Because this altar cannot contain the harvest that he wants to bring in from Winchester. It cannot contain the miracles that he wants to do in Winchester. It cannot contain the healings that he wants to produce in the people around this community. This altar can't hold the people he wants to heal in those houses back there. Let alone in this whole neighborhood. So Jesus is sneaking out of the temple and that's where we pick up verse 1 and 2. He says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This sounds like a real weird question, doesn't it? A real strange question. This, did this dude sin in the womb? Did he sin before he even knew what sin was and was able to sin? But there was a sect of Judaism that actually believed that the father, 
who loves us enough to send his son to die for us, would punish someone for a sin committed in the womb with a lifetime paralysis or a lifetime ailment. So the disciples, not out of ignorance, but out of informed thinking, are looking at the situation and said, now wait a second, was it this guy who sinned? Because we know that there is a sect that teaches that his sin could cause him to be paralyzed. And then they say, or was it his parents who sinned? Because way back in Deuteronomy, the father would speak, and through Moses say in in, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, that a father's iniquity was passed into the third and the fourth generation. So looking at the situation, the disciples are not uninformed. They're actually really informed. And then they start to remember back just a few chapters earlier in John in chapter 5. Jesus heals a man by the pool of Bethesda and then catches him later outside the temple and says, Hey, don't go and sin anymore because something else worse may happen to you. Insinuating that that sin may have been connected to his ailment. So the disciples are walking this thing out with Jesus and trying to figure it out. How many of you have been there? Walking it out with Jesus, trying to figure it out. Flying blind, just hoping you don't hit something hard. Hoping you can figure out what the next step looks like. And they are applying every lesson that they have ever learned in their walk and in their study and in their learning. And Jesus says, that's none of it. That's actually none of it. Because... What they are trying to do is take a principle that they once learned and turn it into a a set of rules that Jesus always operates by. And that is not how the kingdom works. That's how religion works, but it's not how the kingdom works. See, Jesus would heal two people in two completely different ways. In one, he would send a word and the man would go to his house and his son was healed. In another, he would go. And in this story, he made mud and put it on the blind eyes. Religion says take the formula of what God's always done and apply it to that's how he's always going to do it. But Jesus came to break the mold and say we're not dealing with religion, we're dealing with relationship. We're dealing with a father, not a taskmaster. We're dealing with a father who has children. And how many of you with different child, with more than one children know each child has to be fathered in a unique way? So the father, through Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, according to Colossians 1.15, says, I cannot do things by a set measure every time. I've got to come in the way that each situation needs. I've got to come in the way that each situation prescribes. Because the way that I deal with this person and the way that I deal with this person are not uniform. They are not uniform. They do not fit into a mold. Because it is a relationship. Because this person has faults and failures and a background that I have to minister to before I can bring healing. Whereas this person is dealing with a purely physical thing. So Jesus, through this story, is breaking down the barriers where they are trying to apply these set standards to the way that Jesus works. In verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus completely turns the conversation. You ever ask Jesus a question? And he answers it by changing the subject. You're like, Lord, 
I don't know if I should take this promotion at work. I don't know if I should accept this offer that they're giving me. I don't know if I should go and move to this new location that they have asked me to move to. And the Lord answers with something wild like, why don't you just come and hang out with me more? And you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? We're asking you about A, and you're answering with Z, and those aren't connected at all. But what Jesus does is he gives us answers through relationship, through perspective. And in this story, Jesus is turning the perspective of the apostles. The apostles approach this situation, and they are staring at the problem. They're staring at the sickness. They're staring at the possibility of the root of the sickness. And Jesus says, get your mind off of the issue and look towards the solution. Look towards the solution. Don't worry about whether he sinned or his mama sinned or his grandmama sinned or where it came from. This is an opportunity for me to showcase my love. An opportunity for me to showcase my adoration and my care and my compassion in this situation. This is an opportunity for my kingdom to demonstrate its lordship over the kingdom of sickness. Over the kingdom of disease. The apostles and the prophets and the, the, the Pharisees even to, the, to, the, to an extent were focused on issues where Jesus is focused on solutions. He is asking us to turn our attention away from issues to solutions. Because He is the solution. He is the solution. He's not asking us to figure out where it all came from and how it showed up. And He doesn't want a lineage of the demonology of why this person is oppressed or who had this sickness first in their family and why they're still dealing with this sickness. All Jesus cares about is, is my back still scarred? And if so, that's enough. Because my kingdom is still Lord over the kingdom of sickness. And he is asking us to turn our attention. To turn our attention away from the issues to the solutions. I was sitting with the Lord a couple days ago and I heard him say, I wasn't thinking about this sermon. I heard him say that a wave is destructive if you're positioned incorrectly. But it is momentum if you're positioned correctly. And as I sat and I thought about it. I thought, well, surely that has something to do with something massive. And I think it's applying to this sermon. When we position ourselves to stare into the face of the magnitude of the problems, rather than position ourselves to stare at the magnitude of the possibilities of Him showing up in a circumstance, it has the opportunity to destroy us. But if there is a massive problem, then there is a massive solution that He has. If there is a ginormous sickness, then there is a ginormous healing on the way. If there is a cancer that has crawled up inside of a little seven-year-old girl, then there is a God who is able to rip it out and every cell that's attached to it. His hand is not short. Neither is His power weak. But we must position ourselves not to get caught up in the who, what, when, where, why, and how of this problem in this issue that we're dealing with he's asking us to look at possibilities because they only have the option to look at the problem they do not have the eyesight to look at possibilities scripture says that the powers of this world the ruler of the air of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers he's blinded their eyes 
That means their eyes are only able to see the natural. They aren't able to see the massive possibilities of God stepping in when a marriage is on the cliff of divorce. Of when kids have run off for decades and there's no hope of them coming back. Of when finances cannot possibly meet the number of bills that are coming in. But God is asking us to be the ones who look at a circumstance and say, there is a possibility. There is a possibility and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And He has the ability to step in at any moment and change the circumstance. He said it wasn't this man that sinned or his parents that sinned. In other words, don't worry about where the sin came from. But this was that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the goodness of God might be displayed in him. Works here is business, employment, things which anyone, things with which anyone is occupied. Jesus would go on later in this story, we'll read it in a few minutes, to heal this guy. What does that tell me? The business of God is stepping into brokenness and bringing healing. The occupation of God is stepping into sickness and bringing relief. God keeps himself busy by choice, by stepping into where there is a kingdom of darkness ruling. I shouldn't say kingdom because you've got to have a king to be a kingdom. Where the realm of darkness is ruling and the kingdom of light has the authority to come in and overtake it. He keeps himself occupied and employed with this sort of work. This is the king's business. It is not a side issue. It is not a maybe every once in a while. This is the king's business. Yes, he came to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But he also came to die to destroy the works of the devil, according to John 3, 8, 1 John 3.8. To destroy every work of the devil. That includes sickness and death and destruction, chaos and calamity. That means when, when, when job loss and, and financial gains aren't there and when your kids are running off, he has come to destroy every work of the devil and it's not a side issue to him. It's not a, well, you weren't walking right with me right now. You weren't, you weren't reading all the, the, the scriptures that you should be reading. You weren't spending enough time in prayer that you should be spending. So we can't do that right now because that's secondary. It is all a part of his plan to redeem it all. Did you know when, when the scripture says that God sent his son to sa- that, that the world through him might be saved, that word saved, word saved is sozo. Sozo. It's not... Forgiveness of sins. It is complete and total salvation. It is complete and total salvation. And in fact, one of the definitions even specifically mentions healing of diseases. It is not a side issue with God. It's part of what he keeps himself busy with. He keeps himself busy and employed with stepping into these sorts of circumstances. He said that the works of God, the employment of God, the things that God keeps occupied with might be displayed, might be made manifest or realized or realized. There's a whole community full of people that don't realize what God has available for them. They don't realize the possibilities of a God stepping in to impossibilities with his impossibility. 
and turning it for their good. They don't have the authority to realize the availability of a king moving in with his lordship and exercising that lordship in their circumstance. But he said, this is the purpose. This is the purpose. And this is what God keeps busy with. Verse 4. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. We must. If you have the King James or the New King James, it says, I must. Why? Because it didn't make sense to them. It didn't make any sense to them. Why would Jesus say, we must? Why would Jesus say, we must work the works? Out of all of the, I don't know what there are, maybe 30 major biblical translations in English, the majority of them agree that it is we. Most theologians agree that the proper translation is we. The history of who Jesus is in the scripture, in John 14, in John 15, in John 16, in John 17, it agrees with the theology that this should not be I must do the works. It is we must do the works of him who sent me. We must do the works. We must do the works of him who sent me. The word for must here in the Greek. I love this. This is an indicative verb. Indicative verb. That means it's a simple statement of fact. It is necessary. It is right and proper. It is beneficial. It behooves us. It is profitable. We must do the works. Why? Because it's necessary. We have to do the works. We have to do the works. Praying the prayer is awesome. Gathering together is necessary, yes. Interceding for the city is necessary, yes. But stopping there is a failure to complete all that he's called us to do. If all we ever do is gather together and pray the prayer and say, Lord, touch Winchester, Winchester's not going to be touched. Or somebody else will get it in their spirit to go touch Winchester. But he has called you and I to do the works. He said, we must do the works. It is profitable. It behooves us. It's beneficial for us to do the works. Why? Because when we do the works, he is glorified. And the kingdom advances. The kingdom goes forward. The kingdom grows when we do the works. In John 5, a man comes to Jesus and says, My son is sick. Come and heal him. Jesus turns around to the religious leaders and the people standing there. And he says, Some of you people won't believe without a sign. And religion would say, Stop reading the story there. But relationship says, Keep reading. Jesus says, Go, your son is well. Man goes back to his house and Jesus does the miracle anyway. Why? Because some people get brought into the kingdom through miracles. Some people get brought in through faith and other people get drug in through miracles. That's just how it works. And he'll take them however he can get them. He doesn't care how he gets them in. He'll take them. Because once he gets them in, then they're officially in the family. And that's what he cares about. Jesus in John 2 does his first miracle. And John 2.11 says that this, the first of his signs, he did at Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory. His glory is on full display when his works are done in the earth. But he has called me to be the outlet through his works, through which his works work. 
I have to do something for his works to come into existence. Could he step down in bodily form and touch a lame person's legs? Touch a deaf ear or a blind eye? Absolutely he could. But for some wild reason, he's called me to co-labor with him. That's why it's the great co-mission. Because we are co-laboring with the God in heaven to bring about his plan and purpose on the earth. And he said, we must do the works. We must work the works. It's not an option. We must work the works. We must pray for those who we see are sick. We must reach out to those who we know are hurting. We must do the works. Because this is the kingdom. And it doesn't take place at this altar with three or four people who are on staff. It takes place in the offices and at the dinner table. It takes place in the family rooms. It takes place when you're gathering in the break room. It takes place when you're on the assembly line. It takes place when you're in Walmart and Kroger. This is where the kingdom is made manifest. Jesus slipped out of the temple and then made a point to say, we must do the works. Why? Because this is how the kingdom grows. This is how the kingdom grows. And it's not always... I'm about to jump down. I shouldn't do that. It's not always comfortable. Look at that. There's wisdom. It's not always comfortable. In fact, I would say it's never comfortable. Praying for someone sick in public is never comfortable. But it wasn't my back. I didn't get chained to the whipping post. So I don't have the option to say no. He's the one who took the stripes. He's the one who was ripped open. He's the one who the psalmist said, I can count all of my bones. All of my bones are out of joint. I can count them all. I gave my back to those who strike. My cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. And I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting in Isaiah. It wasn't my back. I didn't pay the price and I don't have the right to say no. I have to be willing to yield my pride so that the kingdom can grow. And if I fail, then at least they'll know the love of God encountered them today. That somebody loved them enough to try. Love them enough to try. Love them enough to come over and be embarrassed and say, can I pray with you? Can I help you today? Can I love on you today? Because this is the kingdom mandate. This is the kingdom mandate. If we want to reach a city and a region, this is how we reach a city and a region. Good services will only keep the people that are in the seats. we got to get them in the seats somehow. How do we do it? We reach them in their brokenness. We touch them in their brokenness. And it's work. Jesus said we must work the works. It's labor. That word is labor. It's not easy. It's not Fun a lot of times, but he's the boss. And he's got, he's got veto power over my wants. And so I have to yield to go and do the work of the kingdom. Because this is what he came for. This is what he came for, church. He came not so 114 Franklin Avenue could be a place where people heal, got healed. He came so that all of us could be vessels of his healing power. Not so at 114 Franklin Avenue could be a place where people get free when they're demonized, but that all of us 
could be enabled with the treasure of heaven. That they could encounter freedom at any moment of any day, no matter where we meet them at. Not so that right here is the only place where they receive the counsel of heaven or a word from the Father about how much He loves them, but that out there they can hear it. Because out there is where they need it. Because out there is where they're at. Out there is where they're at. And it's a big ask. But He's a big God who has filled us. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, Our sufficiency is not of ourselves. But it is of God who has made us ministers of the gospel. Not of the law, but of the Spirit. Not of the law, but of the Spirit. He has enabled us to make that word has made us, that phrase. He has enabled us with the power necessary. He has made us ministers of the gospel. Not of the law. Not to stand on a street corner and argue about the theology of the book but to invite them into an encounter with the man who the book is about. To bring them into relationship with the one who the whole book points to. This is the charge of the church. This has always been the charge of the church. But in our discomfort, we've pushed away from it. And he's not pointing a finger or shaking a fist at us. He's opening his arms and inviting us in. He's opening his arms and inviting us in again into the full expression of what he died for. This is the full reward of Calvary. Yes, thank God for the souls, but what a better way to evangelize than to see someone healed first. What a better way to evangelize than to see someone delivered first or to see someone set free of fear and anxiety first. This is the kingdom. Paul said the kingdom is not in word. It's in power. It's in power. This is how the kingdom is displayed, by power. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, there's a time coming when, when we're not going to have a chance to work. There is a time coming. It, it might be who knows how far off, but there is a time coming. And if I have the opportunity... To work now, then I've got to put in the work now. I've got to labor now because now is the time. Now is the time. Verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he would say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. Greek cannot, absolutely, no way possible. There's no physical possible way to be hidden. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a candle and puts it under a basket. But they set it on a candlestick so that all in the house get the light. All in the house get the light. We are purposed to be the light. And then Jesus would finish up by saying, Let your light so shine that men may see your works, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm all for intercessory prayer. I'm all about intercessory prayer. I'm all about praying for the city and the region, and we'll pray for your city if you want us to. I'm all about praying for the nation. Thank God. We'll pray for the nation. I'll pray for, it. I'll pray for whatever we're, we're setting our eyes to pray on, but it cannot stop at prayer. 
it has to go beyond prayer. In order for us to make an actual impact in the city, in the region, in our families, it has to go beyond prayer. It has to become a part of who we are. Because it's who He is. And He is living within us. He would give the apostles a prayer in Matthew 6, I think. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've turned that into, we've turned that into the, I want to be careful. We've taken that prayer and we've set it on a pedestal. And we've said, as long as you're praying this prayer, then that's good enough. But the prayer was meant for revelation. The apostles didn't pray the prayer and then sit in the house. They prayed the prayer and then they went out and did what God revealed to them He wanted to do. The prayer was meant to reveal what God actually wanted to release from heaven into the earth. And men like Thomas would go to places like India and nearly Christianize the entire known continent at the country at the time. Why? Because he prayed the prayer, yes, but he also got on his feet and went and did the work. People like Peter would walk past cripples on a street and he would see them healed by the shadow and then go and travel dozens of miles to a place where people were dead in upper rooms and he would labor in the room and pray over them until they came back. Why? Because praying the prayer wasn't enough. It took action. The kingdom is a kingdom of action, not of thought. It's a kingdom that requires us to act. And the king is inviting us to act. He's inviting us to act on what he's revealing. He has, I don't know if you've noticed, over the last, I don't know, whenever revival was, six weeks, he has, he has shifted the mindset of the church towards more of the apostolic, which is good. Because the Bible says that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. But now, you got, now we got to do something about it. Now we got to do something about it. Because there's more for us to do. There's more for us to do. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.